Amen. Uh, thank you, Ryan and, and Karen, for leading us in that. I want to invite you uh, once again to Jeremiah. And for your planning, I guess, I don't know if you plan listening to sermons as much as I plan preaching them. But uh, for your planning, we're going to be, if the Lord allows, uh, finishing Jeremiah, I believe, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Just to give you an idea of where we're headed, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. You may recall, as we concluded last time, we didn't really finish the sermon. And so I want to give you that. Hopefully it's not uh, too much of a distraction as we transition to the next part in this three-part series. You recall we covered Jeremiah 40, 41 last week, and we're moving into 42, 43 this week, and then 44, 45 this coming Sunday. So I want to try to catch you up a little bit. The people who have remained in the land, remained in Jerusalem specifically, it seems as though they have been given a new start, and that's the title of this a little series that we have within the series. It seems that they've been given a new start. They have a new leader. He's a solid leader. He gave a wonderful speech. And it actually turns out that his uh, leading the people in the land of Jerusalem, this, this little piece of the remnant that was left, it likely only lasted a few months because he was attacked from within his own people. He wasn't aware of how uh, deeply, they did not want him to succeed. And we began to discuss this account, and we made some application last week to our spiritual journey that begins, and we must be prepared to fight that old flesh. We must be prepared to fight the old man, as the New Testament describes that sinful nature on so many occasions. They were not prepared to fight. Gedaliah, the leader, would not even give credibility to the claim that Ishmael was coming against him to kill him. And this came from Johanan, who becomes a dominant character at this point in our story. They weren't prepared to fight, and they were taken aback. They were really derailed from what God had intended to do with them after this happened. I gave you last week the foundation of a new start. I gave you the fruit of a new start. You know, they celebrated this new leader. They celebrated a wine. They celebrated their fields and the produce that was coming in. And it was like they got back together and God was going to do something great. But they weren't prepared to fight. And that was the third part. So there was a foundation. There was a fruit. And then there was the fight of a new start. And we want to pick up where we left off. I told you, we want to pay attention to the old man. We want to be prepared for the old man. That old flesh is going to continue to cause you to struggle, going to put obstacles in your way. Finally, according to the text, 41, 11 through 15, we want to drive out the old man. We want to drive out the old man. Now, today may be, may be a little awkward. We're going to read as we go, but it's okay. We'll get through 11 through 15, 41, chapter 41. And I don't think this is going to be on the screen for you. It will when we get to uh, verse 16. 
It says, but when Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the leaders of the forces with him heard of all the evil Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, they took all their men and went to fight against Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. They came upon him at the great pool that is in Gibeon. And when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the leaders with the forces of the forces with him, they rejoiced. So all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan, the son of Korea. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. So they were able to drive out Ishmael. He actually retreated uh, to the Ammonites. And we know what this looks like in the Christian life. We recognize that having been uh, made dead to sin because of Christ, we now can eliminate that old man, that old sin nature. Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Put to death. You get that? Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul in the New Testament is showing us this old nature. And he says, look, you got to get rid of him. And this is perfectly pictured in the elimination of Ishmael. And what happens in the story? It says many were recovered. The people that he took captive, even those that were following Ishmael, many of them recovered. They were, they returned. We talked about making some corporate application as well as individual application. I would tell you right here, God has given to the church a method of driving out the old man corporately in church discipline. Yet the purpose of discipline is to see people restored to full fellowship. So when we want to be holy as a church, it doesn't mean that we just want to cut people off and we're just trying to get rid of folks that are sinners and they won't repent. No, the goal is if we want to be holy, we have to be serious about sin. And in the process of doing what God called us to do, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring some back. He's going to bring some that will be restored. And we're going to celebrate when they're restored. But we want to make sure that we are aimed at driving out that old man, that old nature. But you see what happens with these people as they're walking through this time of difficulty. They realize that this new start ain't what it cracked up to be. It ain't quite what we thought it was going to be. This new start, we thought it was going to be grand. Get a liar. Now he's dead. Now we're worried about Ishmael. We're worried about the Ammonites. And what's Babylon going to do with us when they realize that the leader that they appointed is now dead? You can see, and as we'll see in the text, as it unfolds, they are overcome with fear. It's not what it cracked up to be. You ever have a moment like that in the Christian life? This isn't quite what I expected. You get over the initial rejoicing and joy of knowing Jesus and sins forgiven. And it's like as soon as you encounter that old man, as soon as you encounter that fleshly nature, as soon as you encounter all the temptations that are still there, you're like, man, this is actually really hard. 
the people left in Jerusalem, they were coming to that realization. And the question was, the faith that they looked like they had, would it be proven real or not? You recall a reference, that soil where the seed fell. And it sprouted, but it didn't, it didn't really take up much root. It didn't really produce any fruit because the sun scorched it. This is what we're seeing. We're seeing the faith of these people exposed as, well, we were just down for the wine and the fruit. We weren't down for following God when it was difficult. And so that brings us to the fourth point from last week, which becomes our foundation for this week, the future of a new start, the future of a new start. And at this transitional point, I want to pray for us. Father, help us. We need it. God, I need it. Send your spirit. Make sense of your words so that your people will be sanctified so that they will look more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. The last thing that we want to see is our faith fade like that seed in the scorching sun. I want to be clear. We're not talking about how these people were saved and then they lost their salvation. No, it was the fact that what they were believing in was not ultimately God's word. They were believing in a a bright future. They were believing in an opportunity. They were believing in what may lay ahead after all this destruction. It seems they were not trusting God's word, and we see that play out. I recall a long time ago hearing Adrian Rogers, Dr. Adrian Rogers said, I love alliteration. Kyle knows it. I'm not alliterating my points today, by the way. Here's what he said. Adrian Rogers A faith, you're going to want to write this down. A faith that fails before the finish is flawed from the first. A faith that fails before the finish is flawed from the first. We just read from Hebrews. What does it say? You believe to the end. Don't abandon your confession. You believe to the end. What does Jesus say? Those who endure to the end will be saved. Again, we've said it many times. It's not about starting the Christian life. It's about finishing it well. We continue in faith. We hold fast the confession. We do not want to see our faith fade like the seed in the scorching sun. And I believe that's what we see in these people. And so the theme, consistent with what we had last week, God grants the new start to become a faithful way of life. God grants the new start to become a faithful way of life. And we're going to walk through steps of a people walking in new life. Steps of a people walking in new life. And we're using this example, which seems to start out okay, you'll see in a moment, but we're using this example as a negative example. Y'all know in your life, you can, you can learn sometimes just as much from a bad example as you can from a good one. I remember back in seminary, they used to tell us, hey, you need to go to chapel all the time because you can learn just as much from a bad sermon as you can from a good one. 
especially those of, those of us who are trying to preach. And I remember some really bad ones. Really bad ones. I'll tell you about them sometime. Steps of a people walking in new life. So we see their example. We want to do something different. First off, to conclude chapter 41, verses 16 through 18, examine intentions. Examine intentions. So if you want to walk in new life, you need to start with examining your own intentions. Where is your heart set? Chapter 41, verses 16 through 18. There's a key word I want to draw on here. Here's what it says. Then Johanna, the son of Korah, and all the leaders of the forces with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Icon. Soldiers, women, children, eunuchs, whom Johanan brought back from Gibeon. And they went and stayed at Gareth Chimham near Bethlehem, intending to go to Egypt because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Examine intentions. You see what's happening here? Johanan is now sort of the de facto leader. He was the one who tried to warn Gedaliah, and now he's leading the people. And so his best conclusion, our best option, he says, we need to head to Egypt in hopes of escaping the pressures from Babylon that may come against us. And then Ishmael with the Ammonites. Bregeman calls this a political calculation. He comes in himself to a conclusion that he feels like is best, but it was contrary to the message that Jeremiah had long preached. We'll go to Egypt. You know in your life how you're faced with a, maybe a fork in the road, a decision to make, and, and you know in your heart of hearts that you intend to go one way over the other. Bregman says their intentions here, it doesn't really describe it fully. Uh, really, they had already made the decision. Intentions that lean away from God are an indication of what you want. The flesh rallies around a will that is opposed to God, so we must be careful not to lean. We don't want to lean the way of sin. They were leaning toward Egypt because ultimately it was what they wanted. You know who else leaned one direction over the other? It was Lot. What does the Bible say? He pitched his tent toward Sodom. He leaned toward Sodom. Y'all hear me here. Before you ever loved the sin, you determined, I want to love that sin. Before you ever touched the man, touched the woman, you determined, I want to touch him. Before you ever tasted the food, you determined, I want to indulge. Before you unleashed your anger, you determined, I'm going to be right. And before you ran from the Lord's purposes, 
just like they did, you let fear control you. They did what they thought was best here. Their intentions, though, were against God's purposes. When we get to this point, do the events that unfold after this even matter? (laughs) I mean, you know. You know, no matter who says what to you, you've already determined it's what you're going to do. You're committed to the sin. You want to satisfy the flesh. You want that gratification right now. And even godly counsel from godly people will not recover you from this because you have determined in the deepest parts of who you are, this is the way I'm going to go. And there's almost no way back once you lean toward Sodom. You kill your chance at return once you set your tent toward Sodom. The old man is strong in his desires for sins. And when you lean away from God, his word will have little room to work. You know, we so often lean toward Egypt. We lean toward Sodom. We lean toward the satisfaction of the flesh but you know you know what Jesus did he set his face toward Jerusalem he set his face toward Jerusalem and here it is in Christ believer follower of Jesus Christ the Bible says you are a new creature a new creation The new man, you know what he has? He has a new want to. He has a new want to. And you know how you get that new want to? It's following, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one with pure intentions to honor the Father. And by faith, all of his purity belongs to you. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and praise God that in him we're cleansed, we're pure, we're made righteous. We are recovered from that lean that describes us. Secondly, steps of a people walking in new life. Secondly, from chapter 42, 1 through 7 and And now you're like, hey, he's just now getting to the text that he's supposed to preach today. So there you go. Second step, seek guidance. Seek guidance. Chapter 42, 1 through 7. Then all the commanders of the forces, Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, all the people from the least to the greatest, you get this, everybody, came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, let our plea for mercy Come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with a few, as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. 
whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And then verse 7, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The end of 10 days. So here, seek Guidance, And we're still sort of on track. They seem to be doing okay. I exposed their intentions a little bit as we talked a moment ago. But they are at least like, okay, maybe we need to seek the counsel of God. But let's take a step back here. The enemy, when it comes to God's promises, the enemy is already defeated. They are destined for defeat. Make some application there for you in Christ. Victory. The enemy is already defeated, destined for defeat. So all we have to do, if they're listening to Jeremiah, if they have been listening to Jeremiah, is stay and fight. Live in the victory that is promised to you. I know it doesn't look good right now, but the victory is yours, so stay and fight. Christian, I know your life does not look good right now, but you know what God wants you to do? Be faithful, stay and fight. They didn't want to do that, though. They feared Ishmael. They feared the Ammonites. They feared Babylon. And this was a human response. They lacked understanding. And it's almost like an afterthought. After they've already decided what to do, they want to see what the Lord says about it. In our cases, maybe seeking the Lord is based on requests for the Lord's will. Maybe it's a prayer to be answered. But, you know, as we see right here, God's Reply may not always be immediate or even soon. Here it takes 10 days. We could probably go into why it took 10 days or the significance of 10 days. All I'll tell you right here is that the Lord waited, and I think he did it on purpose to show us something. Sometimes seeking guidance requires patience. I'm the kind of person, like, I like to eat every three to four hours. It's not because I'm a glutton. I just function better. Uh, I function better when I have uh, fuel in my body. So if you see me during the week up here and I haven't eaten in five or six hours, you can guarantee I'm going to be hangry. Y'all know hangry, right? Hungry and angry. I'm going to be hangry. I have to eat every... <laughs> Aaron's laughing because she knows... <laughs> She knows better than anybody else. I have to eat every three or four hours. So you know what? On Wednesday, I'm here usually kind of late. Meetings and whatnot, and we've been doing the Wednesday study. So when I get to mid-afternoon, oftentimes maybe Josh is rolling in for a meeting. I say, Josh, you grab me a, a Snickers and an and a energy drink. Why do I get that? Because I need something to hold me over until I can actually eat. I need something to hold me over. You know what? Jeremiah here, I'm only going to tell you what God tells me, and he waited 10 days. Jeremiah does not offer anything here to hold them over. He doesn't plead with them just to wait. Here's a word that I'll give you for now, and maybe God will reply soon. No, he doesn't offer anything to hold them over. They sought guidance, and now they have to wait for that guidance. You recall that God's been silent toward the people since Gedaliah was appointed. And sometimes, folks, you will have to wait on God's clear direction. But I will tell you this. 
more often than not, the necessary guidance is simply uncovering what God has already said. If they had just turned to Jeremiah's sermon from last week and the week before and the week before and the week before and the year before and the year before, they would know exactly what God wanted them to do. Bring that to to our day. Bring that to your life. Please, Christian, do not spend your waking hours stressing and worrying about what God would have you do in this decision or that decision. Yeah, make it a matter of prayer. But you know what you need to spend your time doing? Know what he has said. Study what he he has revealed. And I guarantee you, as you know what he has revealed, you'll have better clarity for what you're seeking. But we have a tendency to stress and talk about, I just don't know this decision. I don't know whether I should move. I don't know which school to go to. And we make our lives so self-centered and God's will so self-centered. And I would tell you, whether it's this school or that school or that house or this city, you can honor God in every location. So don't stress about it. Know his word. Know his word. I think it's a sign of maturity when you spend less time worrying about decisions or stuff that may happen and more time discovering what God has revealed. They already knew what God wanted. And so it seems that in this last ditch effort, they might just get him to maybe change his message. Support us in this, God. We don't want to seek guidance like they did. We must seek guidance from the Lord. We must hear what he says. We're about to see them go fully off the rails. So the third step, not my favorite wording here, but we'll roll with it. Accept options. Accept options. 42 verses 8 through 22 This is what it amounts to. I'm about to read it. But here is what God says. It's the same thing he's been saying for years. You got two options. That's what he gives right here. Serve Babylon or be destroyed. Verse 8. Then he summoned Johanan, the son of Korah, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, all the people from the least to the greatest, said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him, if you will remain in this land. Then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you, to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, a remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces, you get that? To enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword shall The sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt. And there you shall die. All the men who set their faces 
to go to Egypt, to live there, shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. And as if that wasn't enough. Verse 18, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You shall become an execration, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. You shall see this place no more. The Lord has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. No, for a certainty that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your own lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God saying, pray for us to the Lord our God. Whatever the Lord God says, declare to us and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. Now, therefore, know for a certainty that you shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to live. It's the same options, Babylon or destruction. Babylon or destruction. I want to note a few things very quickly here. Listen fast. In these options, God's word has witnesses, verses 8 and 9. It tells us right there that everyone was gathered together, least to the great. They heard what was said. You see, the word of God is subject to no other authority, yet God gives witnesses to its truth. An honest treatment of science supports God's word. A look around creation supports God's word. Historical record testify to the events of God's word. Eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection verify God's word. The fact that the word endures and will endure forever will always bear witness to the truth of God's word. Right here, the people are witness to what is said, and there is no way that they can manipulate the message because every last one of them heard it from Jeremiah's mouth. You know, sometimes when there's a car accident, you have the police that will go around and, and, and get stories from all the people who were witnesses. And they're trying to recreate exactly what happened on this occasion. Do you see, in our context, you believers, you have the same Word of God. You have the same Spirit of God. And you have the same task of bearing witness to the truth every single time the preacher preaches. God's Word has witnesses, and they will testify to the options that God has given. And right here, Babylon or die. God's word has witnesses. God's word offers mercy, verses 10 through 12. Walk in the way that he has instructed, and mercy will abound in your life. Very simply is what he says. No matter what the enemy does to take you down, no matter what your flesh may want, God promises mercy in your needy condition to keep you on track for his glory. God's word offers mercy. Believe my word. Take me at my word. You will have mercy. Thirdly, verse 13 to 17, God's word warns destruction. Does anybody, anybody else think it's ironic here that they want to go to Egypt? If they know their own history, it's like, hey, we're, 
We're doing everything backwards, right? And it is interesting how they confess that they are a few people. They're just a, a few people. Bregeman says here, it's as though the undoing of Exodus is happening before our eyes. God's salvation has come, and they're walking it all the way back. <laughs> all the way back to Egypt. We'll get into that more a little later. I know we have a ton of time, but also God's word is clear. Verses 18 through 22, very simply like, hey, here's what I have said. Here's what you have testified. There is no wiggling out of what we have discussed here. There's no way out. God's word is clear here. And this is a good sort of a side note on a doctrine that we call the clarity of Scripture or the perspicuity, if you like big words, of Scripture. <clears throat> Here's how Callahan describes this. Scripture can be and is read with profit, with appreciation, and with transformative results. It is open and transparent to earnest readers. It is intelligible and comprehensible to attentive readers. Scripture itself is coherent and obvious. It is direct and unambiguous as written. What is written is sufficient. Scripture's concern for our focal point, excuse me, or focal point is readily presented as the redemptive story of God. It displays a progressively more specific identification of that story culminating in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this is to say scripture is clear about what it is about. It's a long way of describing it. Here's what the Bible actually says, Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. You approach scripture with honesty, Seeking to obey what God has said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. And you know what? It's usually not the, the parts of the Bible that, that we struggle with that are a big problem with. Like we, we, we encounter some, some difficult passages from time to time. Here's what Mark Twain says. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And Matt Smethurst, sorry to overload you with quotes here, but Matt Smethurst, he says, often it's not that the Bible is unclear, but that we're unreceptive. God's word is clear. There's no denying what he has told them right here. And he says, look, you got two options. And I will tell you, there's always an option. There's always an option. Sometimes there may, may be multiple options for you. Multiple options that honor God and praise God for the freedom to walk in his truth and choose what you believe to be good and right for your future. But there are always at least two options. You can honor God and be blessed or you can disobey God. You can disbelieve his word and you will experience the curses. <clears throat> Accept options. Fourthly, fourth step, take responsibility. Take responsibility. 
chapter 43, 1 through 7. These last two points are brief. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent them, sent him to them. Azariah the son of Hoshiah and, and Johanan the son of Korah and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt and live there, but Baruch the son of Neriah has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So, Johanan, the son of Korah, and all the commanders of the forces, all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korah, and all the commanders of the, the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations. You remember, family reunion, back together. You know what they did? Everybody's moving to Egypt now. The men, the women, the children, the princes, the princesses, excuse me, every person who Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan. Also, Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. And they came to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they arrived at Taphanes. All the freedom that Jeremiah had before him was now snatched up by a disobedient people. Take responsibility here. When God speaks, you are accountable for what you hear. You realize what you're doing every week when you avail yourself to the word of God? God expects you to walk in obedience. Take responsibility. Take responsibility for what you do with his word. But you know the easiest way to cast off your responsibility to God's word? Just cast doubt on the source. Just cast doubt on the source. Oh, oh, Jeremiah, is that what your God said? Well, that's not what my God would say, Jeremiah. This is exactly what they did. If you look in your Bible... Chapter 43 and verse 2, they say, the Lord our God. You know what they said in chapter 42? The Lord your God. Go seek the Lord your God. And now in chapter 43, we don't like what you're saying, so the Lord our God would never say that. In some sense it is, hey, we'll always be on good terms, preacher, as long as you tell us the thing that our God, little g, says. You know, I encounter this, I would say, fairly regularly. When people confront God's word and they do not have the wherewithal to accept God at his word, and their response is literally, not my God. Oof. You know, there's a lot of people that believe in a Jesus. It's just not the Jesus of the Bible. It's just not the Jesus of eternity. 
the eternal son of the father. Not my God. He would never do that. Not my God. He would never say that. And just like that, we fashion a God made after our own image. Instead of submitting to the God who has revealed himself through the word to people made in his image. So they end up trying to discredit Jeremiah and Baruch the scribe. It's easy, right? Oh, you just got Baruch in your ear, Jeremiah. He doesn't like us, so you're just doing what he wants you to do, right? We've seen that play out. We've seen those accusations, but yet Jeremiah is doing exactly what God called him to do. They wouldn't take responsibility for the word that they heard. Oh, well, he didn't know what he was talking about. That preacher, man, he, he's not educated enough. Oh, he's not like us. He's too educated. Well, pick your excuse, right? Take responsibility. Finally, we'll be done. Fifthly, resist lies. Resist lies. Chapter 43, verses 8 through 13. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Tophanes. Take in your hands large stones, hide them in the mortar and the pavement that is at the entrance of Pharaoh's palace in Tophanes, in the sight of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden. And he will spread this royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, to the sword, those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. It's my hope that we'll be able to uncover a little more of these verses next week. Sufficient for our time today. Resist the lies. Here's the predominant lie. We will be safe in Egypt. We will be safe in Egypt. So for those of you that maybe you're in a season where, hey, this Christian life is not what it's cracked up to be. Stop believing the lie that something else is going to meet your needs. Stop believing the lie that there is safety elsewhere, outside of Christ. Stop believing the lie that there is satisfaction in something other than the Lord Jesus himself. We'll be safe in Egypt. This is the lie that nagged the people as their new start seemed to be slipping away. When the circumstances of your life aren't quite what you thought they'd be, do you catch a little glimpse of Egypt? You catch a little glimpse of Egypt and wonder if it would be better for you there? I'll put it to you this way. For the one who has new life in Christ, a return to Egypt 
a return to the flesh, a return to the old man, following the desires of the old man. That's like the person, that's like the person that is dead. Okay, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We've been made alive together with Christ. We've been resurrected, given new life. We are that new creature, that new creation. So literally in a spiritual sense, when God by the Holy Spirit breathes life into us and we are made alive together with the Lord Jesus Christ, when we turn back to the old man, when we turn back to Egypt, here's what you're doing. You come out the grave and then you're like, oh, let, let, me, let me grab these grave clothes. And you put the grave clothes back on. You, you grab that wrapping that you were embalmed in and all that. You put those grave clothes back on and you turn around and you start to head right back into the grave. Let me tell you, God did not save you so you could return to the, the vomit of your sin. God did not save you so you could go back to Egypt. God did not preserve these people so that they could run back to where they thought it would be safe only to become once again an object of God's wrath. You've been saved, believer in the Lord Jesus. You've been saved to walk in new life. You've been saved to engage in this fight. So believe the Lord. Take him at his word. And you'll see that seed of faith grow roots and bear fruit to the honor and glory and praise of God, no matter what comes. Let's pray and respond to God's word. Father, we do rejoice again, delighting in your word. Father, thank you. Thank you. For the truth therein, God, help us this morning to respond in a way that honors you. Send your spirit to minister to us and to lead us as we repent of sin. Maybe as one believes on Jesus for the first time, Father. Help us to embrace this new start, Father, that you gave to us. You granted to us to become a way of life. Believing your word trusting in your purposes, getting glory for yourself all along the way, Father. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you would, please stand now as you respond in singing hymn 54, Greatest.